Hey everyone, happy Tuesday. Before we jump into today's show, I just had a quick announcement for you. As I told you last month, I am partnering with different coaches that I found to be really beneficial, either working with them personally or partnering with them on different projects and really seeing how they work and what they offer the world. And through this last pandemic and through the craziness of the last couple of years, I became really grateful for all of the work that I had done leading up to what could only be described as a really chaotic and difficult time. And because I was so grateful of that, I thought, man, it would be incredible to be able to offer some of these tools and some of this knowledge to other people. And so I've resolved to offer, I'm going to try to do it every month, partner with a new coach and offer a workshop And I don't want price to be a barrier to entry for that workshop, so you can literally pay whatever you want to join. I'm going to link it up in the show notes of this episode, and this month's workshop is with my guest today, Jessica DePozzi. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the practices. She's really spent a lot of time learning how to approach listening to your intuition, not just the spirituality aspect of it, but the actual scientific aspect of it, like how it actually works. And so we're going to go through in this workshop, which is going to be on the 25th of March, we're going to go through like, how how do we do this? And how do we learn to listen to our intuition? And how do we practice these things? And if you're wondering, well, why would that matter? I would just say, well, think about how hard it is in the modern world for us to make really tough decisions in our lives. Like we're always having to make decisions. And so we try to do the pro and the con thing and we do the paper thing. We say, oh, well, this would be a good opportunity. But, you know, there's always a recognition that there's something in you that is far deeper than paper. And so what we're going to do in the workshop is learn how to get in touch with that part of you. There's another thing about the modern world too. I wrote about it in my new book, but like we're getting marketed to something like four to 11,000 times a day, depending on where you live these days. And so you just have so much information coming in that making really informed decisions and actually learning to listen to your body and to what would be right for you in your life. This is kind of the surrender aspect that we talked about in the Jonah story. Well, there's an actual practice to do that. And again, I'm going to go over that with Jess. So anyway, if you want to join that workshop, again, pay whatever you want. I've linked it up in the show notes of this episode, and we would love to see you there. Welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee with your host, Rick Alexander. I started this show to talk about all of the interesting, complex, paradoxical, and sometimes uncomfortable aspects of the human experience. If you get anything from this show, the greatest compliment you could give me is to share this show with somebody that you think the message may resonate with or to head to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Additionally, if you want to interact with me, you can follow me at rickalexander underscore on Instagram. Without further ado, on to the show. Today I am joined by Jessica DePazzi. She is, I'd love to hear how you describe yourself, but you're a coach of Grace and Grit. You're the host of the Shadow Work Library, uh, co-conspirator in the Special Forces Experience. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing great, yeah, I'm feeling really good. I like that se- like severe pause in Jessica is, I also feel the same way. It's difficult to explain what I do, uh, but I think the best way other than how you just did it, is that I'm a shadow work educator. So uh, I specialize in helping people dive into the parts of themselves that they've either forgotten or have 
turned away from consciously. And we do that in a really fun way. I like to pull from lots of different cultures and different historical stories and archetypes and also modern science and ancient sciences like astrology and gene keys and a little bit of human design. Um, so my methodology with shadow work, because there's so many different ways that you can go about doing this, this is not, this is absolutely not the only way to do it, is if a lot of people in the past have done something similar than a different culture or a different religion, then that is meaningful to me and I'll make a little note of it and then I put it in my practice. Because that's, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a Sagittarius or something, but <laughs> I have this reverence for the past and history and um, different religions and different perspectives. I think you and I have that in common where like seeing a similar practice from multiple different perspectives really lights me up and it feels important. Yeah, the the it's like you get a glimpse into the underlying patterns under all of the madness, right? And there's something about that that it's also comforting in a way, right? Because we're so, it seems like sometimes in our lives, we're so myopic to our own struggles. I've been on my, on the MCP, actually, I guess the podcast we're on right now. <laughs> uh, I have been trying to like figure out how do I, I've been getting so much inherent value and peace from learning how to walk a wisdom path and like getting in these ancient wisdom texts. And so I've really been trying to like learn how to, make that information those patterns that i've been seeing play out in my own life relevant to today's world when it feels like we're so we are we're almost so broken away from all of the patterns that that as a species we've grown up with or does that make sense like it's like yeah. we're it's like there's an old world and the new world and we're having trouble like reclaiming our roots in some way yeah totally i think with most of us in the Western world, we if we have a form of spirituality that we've been born into, that that quickly turns into dogma because we're born into it when we're really young. So I can only speak from a Catholic perspective because that's how I was brought up very loosely. I wasn't, um, you know, like they call them LA Catholics. So mm -hmm. it's just basically you go to the private school so you don't have to go to the public school system. It's not necessarily a religious decision. Um, but nevertheless, like, we're in church, we stand up, we sit down, we say the prayers, we do the thing, we memorize everything. And so nothing really has meaning, at least often. And, you know, in my experience and a lot of people that I've spoken to about this. And so when we're, and then we grow up and we're like, religion's dumb, spirituality is dumb, you know, because I grew up with it and I didn't understand and it wasn't helpful for me. This is just one perspective on the story, of course. But I found that if we can dive into the dogma and to look back way, way, way back at the reason why we started doing any of these things, there's usually tons of awesome meaning in, in it. And that's where I like following that through line. So in that example, I don't really have a, the reason for it, but I'm sure there's a reason why we stand up in church and we sit down in church and we kneel like, like it makes you pay attention in different ways, perhaps, you know, just that body movement change because Catholics aren't into the singing and the dancing that much. Mm. So that that's what really interests me is like, how can we look at things that we've poo-pooed as being just dogma or just religious bullshit or just political bullshit and like peel apart that onion to find out why did we even start doing this? Where did it come from? And that's when things get really cool, I think. Yes, yes, totally. That like first, if there's so much fear around pulling that thread, 
but then as you do, you realize that you needed to. Um, mm -hmm. I really want to get to today's topic. At the same time, I did just write a paper on why we stand in church. And so, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to an Orthodox church, which is Greek Orthodox. So in the Western world, the Catholicism split. They had the Reformation. And like over here, we're kind of Western Catholic or Protestant. But in the Greek Orthodox church, from the very beginning of the, of the foundations, um, it's an unbroken chain from Jesus on. And so when you go to a Greek Orthodox church, all of the saints are like painted on the walls and there's all of these cool like iconography and all of the symbolism is still there. It's like the ancient path. Um, and so it's so cool. Anyway, this idea though, um, about standing. So you think about you as a finite creature standing before infinity. There's something about that that is like, it's humbling, right? Because you realize, oh, I'm not the top of my own hierarchy. It like it, it it induces awe. And then there's also a lot of parts of ourselves that we tend to hide from other people, like little shames and things like that. And so having the courage to stand before the infinite with all of your shame and all of who you are and allowing that to, you know, it's like getting close to the sun and allowing that brilliance to melt away everything that you're not. And there's something really redemptive about that. That's so sick. I love that. Just imagine if we taught kids that, like the power of standing up. Yes. And weren't just like like in a normal history class or something where it's, you know, remember this date about this war. I remember like going through history and just thinking, this is so intense all they do is talk about wars and plagues and we have to remember the dates there's yeah, no memorizing dates. overarching meaning to those things when at least i don't know in my education so yeah i think fuck that'd be pretty cool if if they could just shift that around it would add so much more meaning to the things that we do and and create judgment around as we get older yes right and so this is this is the segue we found it into the topic so yeah. as you're growing up i've noticed it feels like from age like 27 to 35, that seems like the gap maybe, but um, you're taught all these ways about moving through the world. And then there's a point where it seems like they stop working. Um, and like conventional wisdom doesn't resonate as much anymore. The shoulds, the supposed tos are like really not helping. Now you can repress that for a long time and just stay on a path that's not right for you. Um, but resentment and all these other feelings tend to arise. And so, in my own life, you so you make a departure from what you've known, and then you're trying to pivot to where you should be. And so finding that road, to me feels like one of the challenges of our lifetime. It, it's like, that's when your real adventure is going to start. There's also an undercurrent of not trusting ourselves in the ability to make that decision. I think that it, it's taught to us from a really young age to outsource our own empowerment to authority figures, people that know. And of course, there's there's got to be a reason for that, right? Like, I mean, people do know, like they, they have been in the world before you. And so hopefully they can impart wisdom so that you can um, make your own choices. The problem is sometimes they impart dogma. And so then you're stuck in what other people have, the, the life plan that other people have given you. And you're the first person I think ever that I've heard talk about one trusting your intuition but in a way that it actually can be learned and so that's what i really wanted to talk to you about because there are a lot of people that that old religious systems aren't working for them old um 
school systems aren't working for them. The political systems are just burning down around us. And so how do we start to, how do we start to even listen to the voice we should be listening to? God, this is so crazy that you're bringing this up because, well, I knew we were going to talk about intuition, but you just reminded me of this podcast I did six years ago, five years ago, when I left my then husband that I'd married for eight days, right? And you know the whole story, so I don't need to go through I that. I listened but to that podcast. <laughs> you did? Are you yes. kidding me? Yeah. So that's so crazy. I was um, trapped in a relationship I didn't want to be in, so I was like, let me listen to that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember Brittany, one of the hosts, asked me, so I was talking about, I just needed to listen to my intuition. I didn't know what an intuition was, really. I just knew that it was something in me that was saying, regardless of what every other logical you know, thought is telling me I should probably get out of this relationship. No, I need to get out of this relationship ASAP, even though it's going to be dramatic. And so I got on that podcast basically so I could tell all my friends and family at the same time and not have to repeat the story, uh, which was pretty bold. I'm I'm so surprised I, I did that. Super bold. But maybe it was less bold than actually having the one-on-one conversation. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I remember Brittany asking me, Oh, what? So how do you access your intuition? What is your intuition? And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not qualified to answer that. And I really felt like it was an unachievable answer. Like you just know, right? And sometimes you bitch slaps you across the face. And, but then more times than not, it's a really gentle, almost like a tickle. And so in the last couple of years, I mean, that conversation always stuck with me. Just think about how many conversations we have, but the ones that do something. Mm -hmm. So I dove into what intuition meant for me. And uh, like we had talked about before, I dove into, you know, new age spirituality to find out what they had to say. I dove into brain science and what they might think it is and all kinds of things in between. Um, I dove into like what different personality types, like MBTI personality types may be more in tune or, you know, something like that. And so in doing all of that research, I came to this question, why is this even important? And you lobbed it up really well. Uh, But, and to add on to that, I found that most problems that like we have, or more, most things that we need an answer to require views from a lot of different perspectives to generate the best and most comprehensive read or situation. And so the way that we've been taught in the U.S. at least is you go to kindergarten or pre-K and you learn about your five senses. You know, like, what do you think about this situation? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What, what color is it? Um, and then as we grow up, we start to add our mind into the, into the equation, like what different facts do we know or believe to be true in order to make this decision or make this judgment? And for some reason, accessing our higher senses, our intuitive senses have been deemed the pseudoscience. I don't really know where that comes from. Um, I could probably pull up some conspiracy theories on it that wouldn't be too wacky, but let's just say we forgot about it or something, or we're very, we became this very left brain society. We need proof and we need facts. So higher senses just doesn't really fit in. You can't, it's not a tangible thing. It's not measurable by current technology. So does it exist, right? Uh, 
you know, how many years ago, 200, 100 years ago, we didn't even know electricity was a thing. We knew that there were lightning bolts coming from the sky. We could sense it, you know, when we go into like highly electric situations, um, we could feel static, but we didn't know what the purpose was. We didn't know how it works. We still don't really know how it works, but we know that it's a thing, right? So this is kind of how I see the higher senses is something that exists because we all feel like it's possible, like it's real. And whether we can explain if it's real or not or how it works to me doesn't really matter. It's just, can we use this practically? And um, one of my issues more or less with accessing your intuition is that it seemed to me that it was reserved for very spiritual people, like not me, you know, mm -hmm. I, because I like to gather information and I want to know how things work. And as much as I try to pull myself out of my, my masculine, I, I live there a lot. And so I found um, a system that was developed by an MIT brain scientist that is, he did studies around this. And again, like the technology isn't there to measure the humanities or like how you feel, but I felt like this was a great place to start, not because I need science to validate everything that I believe in, uh, but just so I can validate to other people, like through this podcast, that this isn't just hippie to be bullshit. So um, using your higher senses. Okay. I like to use my higher senses to get instant reads on situations. And there's four-ish ways that you can go about doing that. The easiest one that I think you can access is your intuitive feeling. And all of these um, intuitive senses, these higher senses also have a place in your body that you can focus your awareness on in order to light up that antenna. Because often we'll give it, get intuitive messages. Like sometimes you'll just hear something and it sounds like you're just talking to yourself, but you know that it's right. And it's coming from a different place than mental chatter. Or sometimes you'll just get that gut feeling. Often these things happen when, when we least expect it. But these are ways to train your body and to train your senses to be able to access them on command. Mm, that's cool. I I noticed for me, and maybe you can be like, well, that's not intuition. Um, but <laughs> I noticed for me, I tend to, like, something will stand out to me. Like in a whole song, a certain line will like hit me mm -hmm. or a certain line in a book will just like hit me in a way that, I don't know, I, I've, mm -hmm. you know, in the absence of, of, culture encouraging you to follow your intuition it seems like these synchronicities are one way that if you can listen to them in a it, it, you've got to be grounded about it you can't you, you just have to be but it seems like synchronicities are one way that you can settle the monkey mind and confirm your own path um when when people around you might not be yeah, I would say look at it like an experiment because it does take some refining to understand in your case. You may be more dominant in that intuitive hearing. Some people call it clairaudience. And there are certain personality traits that will come with that. So you're more analytical, you're, you love communication um, and, and writing and messages come to you as sentences or words, less, mm. perhaps less feeling, less, less visionary, you know, uh, less instant knowing, but more words. I'm also super dominant in um, intuitive hearing, 
but it's tricky, right? Like when am I just talking to myself? Because that always happens. Right. And when is it this coming from a different place? And so what I like to do is do a little bit of calibration with that. Um, I'd like to talk more about the intuitive feeling calibration. Cause I think that if people are just getting started, that's an easier place to start. Okay. So great. how about we do that then? Um, we can actually practice this right now. So for, for intuitive feeling, it, a way to access an instant gut check is to put your awareness in your solar plexus. And if you don't know where the solar plexus is, it's right where, if you've ever gotten punched in the stomach, where you like get your, the wind knocked out of you. It's because mm -hmm. there's a bundle of nerves there when they get punched or <laughs> jarred, you're like, you just freak out, right? Yeah. So it's right there. You put your awareness there and you don't have to look there. You don't need to put your hands there, but sometimes it helps people to do that. And I've even found it helps me to like hold the situation or the person or the thing that I'm trying to get a read on um, in, in my hands, almost like visualize this thing in my hands and like put it over my solar plexus. Okay. So just holding it there. Okay. Fascinating. Then the thing is you want to raise your vibration and clear up blocks and negative energy. So this is the biggest physiological reason why people have a difficult time accessing their intuition. It's because they're stuck in their limbic brain. I actually have a picture for you. I know this is all audio, but check this out. Boop. So <laughs> this lower dark part here, this loop, that's our limbic brain and it, or part of it. And it exists to, to keep us safe. You know, like you might think of it as a, the place where your ego exists. It's the reason why if you're late for a meeting or you're stuck in traffic and you're just late, you get that anxiety, even though, you know, it's fine. It's because, Hey, if you were late getting somewhere back when you were, you know, this ancient human, you might get eat, like, you may have been running for something from something and get eaten, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like super simple example, but there are all these like old, old bits of wiring in us that just are not serving our current context. So to rise out of your limbic brain, you can do a couple things. I like to create a stack. So this is um, putting on music. So this is like changing your environment, pulling you out, um, stimulating your senses, your like five senses in ways that pull you out of the current situation. That's why aromatherapy works. Oh, I see. And um, so that's why people will put on incense or light light a candle that smells nice or Palo Santo. It's not not the only reason, but it is a big reason why that works. Um, you can change up your environment so you can go into a different room. So if you're in a place where you're making a lot of mental decisions or you're commonly stressed out, like I'm in my office right now, this isn't a great place for me to access my intuition when I'm really, really bogged down, like my operating system has all the tabs open. It's best for me to get out of here. So raising your vibration is like fairly simple. Um, another way is breath work. It's hugely important because it's one of those rare systems in your body where you can not think about it and still breathe. And you can also consciously change the way that you do breathe. So it creates almost like this bridge between different conscious states. Hmm. And that is I would say the easiest way to clear out negative blocks and to get into a place of raising your vibration. So, so any music, type of breath work. Smell, breath work. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, movement. So you don't need to do all of this, but whatever works for you. And if you're really bogged down, you can create that stack of like putting a few of them together. Yeah. I like that. Cause we have trouble changing the emotional channel in life. Yeah. Right. I think that's why, why drugs are, why people like drugs so much. Cause mm-hmm. it does, you're like, oh, I'm in a certain place. I can change this channel if I just take this. Well, we're going to get into that too, actually. Um, okay. so yeah. And another thing is, do you really want to change your state? Sometimes people learn about these techniques to raise their vibration and to get into a place where they can access their intuition, but it's just easier just to stay in your room and to not light that incense to not put that, not to create that space for yourself mm. to change the way you are. So if you are feeling like that seems like a lot of work, then really consider, well, what is the better option here? If you're choosing to stay in that state, that's okay too, but just know that that's a choice. Yeah. Awareness around that's great. Okay. Um, the next thing that I like to do, um, when I'm looking to access my intuition, and again, I'm talking about if you are, you are not practiced in this and you're just training your body. So eventually you can do this like in an instant, but this is the long version. So calling upon the golden ray. Now this is, um, a technique that's been used in Merkaba meditation, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, Christianity, uh, and, it actually comes from Merkaba, which I think is like stemmed from, okay, don't quote me on this, but it means uh, like light body spirit. And it represents the the moment in time where they were carrying the, um, the ark and there was this connection between people, the people and God. And it was like this, this ray of light. So this meditation calls on that, that oh. archetypal story. Where the objective world and the mythical world touch. Those are like yes. awesome. Okay. The connection. Okay. So you imagine this golden ray pouring over you. And as you're breathing in, you imagine the ray coming into you. And as you're breathing out, you imagine the ray creating this bubble around you until it sufficiently fills whatever space you want it to fill. It can just be your body, it can be the room. If you want, you feel like there's just like a lot of tension in the room when you're around a lot of people, this is a great thing to do on the down low. And then from a, from a brain science perspective, what this is doing is it's stimulating your septum pellucidum, which is located right here the front and you're self-triggering your- it. So it's like, if you were to draw a line, like right in front of your ears, like this, mm-hmm. and then right in the middle of your head, where those two intersect. And you don't necessarily need to know exactly where it is because the practice is to let that golden ray and to self-trigger it um, by flowing the energy through it. So as long as you're going through your head somewhere above your eyebrow level, then you're, you're self-stimulating this. And the anatomy of this is like, it's a mostly a fluid filled sack that people didn't think did anything, which in my opinion is so silly. Everything does something. Right, right. <laughs> we wouldn't have existed this long with it if it didn't do anything. Um, and it has connections to the same sites like direct connections uh, in the very front with these little um, fibers, the same sites that the thalamus connects to that opium affects. Okay. So when that connection is triggered, it creates this very mellow, energized feeling that almost feels like an inner smile or like you're in that really good part of a yawn. Mm. And activating it can clear these repetitive thought patterns, anything that's existing from you, you know, raising your vibration with those external factors. This is that internal cleansing. Um, any repeating thought patterns like worry, anxiety, fear, hurt, that is the practice. And that's scientifically what's happening, but it also has lots of roots in, in ancient studies as well. 
So, so you're visualizing the golden ray come through this frontal lobe area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The septum pellucidum. And it's like caressing or like tickling the fibers. All you need to worry about is just having the energy coming straight from source or whatever. You don't even need to believe in anything. That's why I love this practice. It's because mm. any belief system you have, this is really working with brain science. You know, you can just pay attention to that part and ignore all the other stuff. Cool. Um, so back in like the sixties or the seventies, Dr. Dr. What's his name? <laughs> Robert Heath. I don't remember where he studied. Um, yeah, that kind of information I don't hold on to very well. He put electrodes in this area in people who, you know, back when we were experimenting on, on, uh, on people who were in, you know, psychiatric wards. Oh. And so he was electronically stimulating that septum pellucidum and people were instantly feeling cheerful, mm. um, like severely depressed people were feeling cheerful, cancer patients were feeling at ease from their physical pain. And so back then they had deemed this the brain's joy center. And the reason why we don't really know about this now is because that's around the same time when LSD came into our awareness. And so obviously we're gonna go more towards this less invasive type of technology, you know, taking a drug is better than probably than putting an electrode. Stimulation, in, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Like putting electrode in your brain, you know, needing to go through surgery, going through the skull and all that stuff. Oh, that's how they did it. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, so obviously less invasive. So all the studies on this electrode stuff was just done. But now that we're coming back to this, um, it's because we're learning the power of the placebo effect, which is more or less proof that our minds can heal our bodies sometimes, you yeah, know? <laughs> I've always thought about that. Like the fact that there is a placebo effect that academia recognizes must be accounted for. I mean, it's like, the, we need to have more conversations about why that is, why <laughs> right. nothing can help, you know? Totally, totally. And like, there's also that nocebo effect, which is you're so convinced that you are not able to like heal that it doesn't matter how many um, clinically proven drugs you're taking, it's not helping you, mm -hmm. you know? So that's how powerful the mind is. That's how like double blind studies work. They, drugs have to be at least 25% more effective than the placebo effect. And it, yeah, you're right. It's crazy that we're just like, placebo effect is not real, but the marker of a successful drug is that it needs to be better than this standard. Which is nothing, it has to overcome nothing. <laughs> That's right. great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole, that could be a whole nother show. Um, I, yeah, okay. I won't even get into this. Yeah, stuff, we're, but... we're headed in weeds right now. Let's bring <laughs> it back to the golden ray. <laughs> right, golden ray. Yeah. Um, so that's substance pellucidum, golden ray, and then also calling on spiritual backup. So one reason I really like this is because it reminds you that you are not alone. And that's one of the reasons why we don't also listen to our intuition is because we feel like everybody else thinks I should do this thing, or I've been taught that I should do this thing. And so there's like a lot of people on the other team. And then there's just you that has to be brave. That's mm -hmm. not totally true. And especially when you can imagine your team around you, your, your spiritual backup, whether that's ancestors that have passed or like a loving grandparent or a friend or something, or even nature, just like I'm supported. I'm not by myself. Again, going back to that placebo effect, 
whether they exist or not is kind of irrelevant. It just matters that you feel it and you believe it. And to me, believing things is a lot easier than some people. So I get that if any of you are listening, you're like, yeah, I don't buy into that. I don't really know what to say to that because yeah, I'm pretty, (laughs) I can believe a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I've always realized like I'll buy that. And also I don't believe anything. So there's that. Um, (laughs) And it's funny, but you know, there's an interesting phenomena in spiritual practice, which is you actually don't get the fruits until you have the faith. Like you don't Mm -hmm. get to know what happens until you believe that something's going to happen. You know, a lot of skeptics sit on the outside and like, well, it's not real. And it's like, uh, but you've all, you've already said that, right? You've already convinced yourself of that. So you're in a loop because there's there's a huge phenomenological effect in our world that like we don't know we don't talk about because we're so, as you mentioned, mental focus. We're so cognitively focused. We're post enlightenment, and so we really brush a lot of that under the rug. But when you delve back into these phenomenological worlds, it's like you have to you have to accept the presuppositions that come with that world. You don't like if you hold on to your cognitively structured, academically proven world and you try to use that logic to go into the spiritual world, well, you end up actually with all these really harmful doctrines that we're second right mm-hmm. now. But but more than that, you don't get access to the actual spiritual thing. So Yeah. It's one perspective. The mind is such an important perspective, but it's also super limited. Just like if you were to come from, come to everything with just a spiritual perspective, right? like this concept of, of manifestation from the secret, it's totally correct. It's just not complete because it doesn't bring in all the other elements that you need to embody to manifest what you want, you know? So yeah, totally agree with that. Mm. Um, that's like the other side of the materials perspective it's mm-hmm. just as one-sided but the other side gotcha totally yeah and i want to get more into perspective because there's another like level of this we're just talking about um intuitive feeling mm-hmm. and so where was i we were at uh okay spiritual backup okay then you focus your awareness on your solar plexus so i had you prematurely doing that but that's your intuitive feeling area And uh, Dr. Pete, or not doctor, he's not a doctor, but Pete Sanders, um, MIT graduate brain scientist, he did studies with people to have them put their awareness in different places in their body, outside of their body, to see how they could get reads on situations, kind of like prophetically, and found that there were um, a much, much higher or better result when they put their awareness in terms of feeling a a very binary yes or no on a situation in their gut. Mm, And that it was the easiest for them to work with because at first, because people often know what that gut feeling feels like. So you hold, okay. So you hold this situation that you're trying to work through in your hands, kind of visualizing it, you hold it Mm -hmm. to your solar plexus Mm -hmm. and then you sort of just ask your body for a yes or a no. So you want to ask a very specific close-ended question. So that's the thing about intuitive feeling. It's a little bit limited because it's just creating the foundation. Remember, this is just, we're talking about perspectives. So this is a very foundational perspective on how you feel about this situation, how you're, how you really feel about the person, this situation or the person. And I also believe that you can remote feel how you're going to feel about something in the future, which is how I like to use this the most which is not as weird as it sounds because we spend so much time worrying about things that haven't even happened yet. It's just using that skill of worry to f- like understand different 
timelines. If you would imagine, okay, this is the timeline where I eat a chicken salad. And this is the timeline where I eat this bean burrito. And this is the timeline where I'm fasting today, just as a super basic example, you're going to try to remote feel how you're going to feel after you've eaten all of these things. Right. So instead of worrying like, oh, I feel like I'm going to be, you know, bloated or something after I eat the bean burrito, it's like reverse engineering this thought process that we do all the time anyway, just in a more productive way. I see. Okay. So let's say we're using the example of what should I eat instead of saying, what should I eat? It's like, should I eat this? Should I eat that? Should I eat that? You know, create a couple different options for yourself. And that's a huge practice in itself. Getting specific on the questions that you have is kind of a skill in itself. I think sometimes we don't because we're afraid of the answer. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, if I keep it vague, I can stay in the not knowing. But if I say yes or no, and it comes to me as a no, and it, like, that's like, oh, God. Right. That's Especially exactly when it. it's, should I be in this relationship? Is this serving me? Should I, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. Right. And that you talk about this all the time. You're just not asking the right question. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you ask a vague question, you're going to get a vague answer. And we live in a world of vagueness and overwhelm because we don't really know what we want or what we're thinking or even what the question is. So this is a nice place to just start. Cool. And so get really specific on your options and then you feel into your body. Uh, so you're putting your awareness in your solar plexus, but the feeling doesn't have to be there. Like it can be a contraction in your throat. It can be like a tightness in your back. It can feel like you got all warm and fuzzy. Um, it's just different yeses. People's yeses feel different to everyone and people's noes feel different, right? So um, a yes for me usually feels like expansion. Like I can breathe deeper, but also my yeses are very subtle. And I don't know if this is just a point in my life where they're subtle or what, or if this is me forever, but my nose are a lot more obvious. So if I'm thinking, should I eat that fried chicken? I'm like getting an immediate no, don't do that. It's like mm -hmm. my stomach is automatically contracting. And if you feel a little bit disconnected to your body's emotions, I like to go through um, a calibration process. You know, this is all about learning about our senses that we haven't consciously tapped into in a long time. So hell, if you've never walked in your life and you know that, you know that it's possible, but you've just been laying down, it's going to take a little bit of figuring out. So this is just a practice like that. So a calibration practice can be write a list of questions that you know, without a doubt, what the answers to it are and how you feel about those things. So if I were to think, um, I want to know what a yes feels like, I'll think, do I love my dog or how do I feel about my dog or my husband? And like, that's a yes. That's like love. That's like, I know what that mm. feels like. I'm like, okay, noting that mentally, um, solidifying that in my body is a yes. Okay. And then I think about a no, um, how do I feel about tax season and not like never being prepared for that when that comes around? It's like, oh God, like I just feel this tightness in my yeah. throat. Like I want to hide. <laughs> I want to cover my face. So just like doing that a little bit to see what those are and then starting really small. So you don't want to use your intuitive feeling for big decisions yet. Probably like, should I be with this person or not? Start with little things. Like if you did want to figure that out eventually, um, do I want to have a coffee? Do I want to spend my morning with this person right now? Yes mm. or no. Okay. You know, just like piecing it apart and eventually you'll get a bigger answer. And um, yeah, eventually you can just find out those answers when you're really practicing it. 
So I've heard people say before, actually I've had guests say on this show, you know, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I'm thinking about calibration from your example, I think about, okay, do I love my fiance Danielle, right? So I feel this full body yes, like mm-hmm. um, whatever stronger than a yes is, it feels like that. Now, my now I wonder though, if you were to, and so I know that you didn't say this advice. I'm actually just kind of wondering what your thoughts are on it. It's like, if I were to measure my life up against that kind of a yes, my decisions, I'd probably have to get rid of a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. So um, the yeses and nos can be complicated. Like, do you want to um, be the be the coach for the president of the United States? So there's a lot of fear in that, you know, but also a, a lot of yeses in that. And so sometimes like things like intimacy and adventure, they inherently have this element of fear in them that can feel like constriction. And that's why going through that practice is really important. Because if it doesn't feel like a hell yes, then it's a hell no. I've also heard that. And I like that as like um, a thing to think about when I really don't want to do something. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And then I feel like I really should do it. But for everything else in life, everything else in life is so subtle and so nuanced that Mm -hmm. that's why I like to look at it as an experiment to see how is my calibration. And there are times in my life, like I go through seasons like anybody else. I'm not like this super tuned in chick all the time. There are times where I'm drinking too much because I'm just so overwhelmed and like that's how I cope sometimes. There are times where I haven't meditated in months because I just feel like I'm too busy and that's not what I want to do. So I have to then retrain everything to get back to a place of feeling good about how I can make these internal decisions and stuff. It's great to hear you say that because you're the most intuitive person that I know. And I think that we often project the good qualities even of ourselves on other people that seem to embody those. Um, and then when we fall short of that ideal, it's like we beat ourselves up and we stay in that cycle instead of getting back to who we are. But so I, anyway, oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, totally. Um, so I saw a graph the other day that just kind of like blew my mind. It was, it was like this upward graph of, of spirituality like become like waking up, you know, just like mm-hmm. kind of going like this from birth, you know, waking up, waking up, waking up. And then your body is like up here and there's a slow curve down, you know, you're getting older, you have more issues and stuff. I mean, we can all try to stay as healthy as possible, but, but generally when you get older, you start to feel the aches and pains and, you know, tumors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that separation between where your, your um, ability to like expand your consciousness goes up and then your body starts to decline there's this like guilt gap where you feel like I should be, everything should be moving up, you know? And often your coping mechanisms as you get older start to get a little bit more ingrained and there's that guilt gap, you know? And your ability to go outside and work out gets maybe less and less or way too much. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because as we do our best to expand our consciousness and be good humans, there's also this very like physical human part of us that can have us feeling even more guilt than when we started off. Right. Yeah. Cause once you see the right answer, right. And you're still have the same patterns. I, I say right answer, but once you see, once you're in, once you are relatively enlightened to a newer way of being, and then you still have those old patterns that that's a really tough place to be because it it's like, you're, you're trying to 
and you're, it's like you have a there's like a rubber band between your your consciousness and your actions and like you need that rubber band to break so that you can so these lower pa- or your patterns i'm sorry so these patterns stop pulling your consciousness back down to them yeah yeah totally yeah the more you become aware of your patterning the more it's possible that you start to get really down on yourself so that's also what i found with intuitive work is you might feel the sense of guilt or shame that you've never even considered this before, even though you've known that it's an important part of your life to like, what do I really feel despite all the other stuff? Uh, so I would just say like, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's cool that you're hearing it now and put in the reps to practice some of these things. Cause that's the only way that it's going to get better. Just like any muscle, if you're not practicing it, it's, it becomes like useless. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I was listening to a a neurological researcher talking about shame. Well, well, one of the things he was talking about is how uh, men in particular, because he was talking about men, um, we don't articulate how we feel. And from a neurological standpoint, we actually don't have the ability to like we haven't used it. And so we've lost it like from a very literal standpoint. And it sounds like these intuitive senses are very similar. Totally. If you're a woman that's trying to reclaim her femininity or a man who's trying to re um, build a relationship with his feminine, this is such a great place to start because you can get kind of nerdy with it and it's fun and there's no risk involved, especially when you start small, but intuition is such of a core feminine skill, quality, whatever it is. So this is a fun place to start. Um, In in addition to intuitive feeling, so we're talking about perspective, right? Think of um, like um, a, oh, the word is escaping me, but you know, uh, like a drawing, an engineering drawing of a building. Okay, a like a house. schematic. Okay. Yeah. In order to get the right amount of information to build this house, we need multiple different perspectives of it, right? So like at least four or five or whatever. Um that's why it's important to train or to attempt to train all of your intuitive senses, not just feeling or whatever you're most dominant in, because it's easy to go with whatever you're best at, right? Um, but that's only giving you one perspective. So if you're dominant in um, intuitive hearing, like I am, we're constantly listening to messages, but that can also keep us in our heads a lot. Mm. And so if we can tune or try to feel more into that intuitive feeling that can give us a different perspective and it doesn't necessarily give us different answers. It just, you feel it differently. You gather information differently. It's a little bit hard to explain, but once you get into this practice, it's pretty easy. I'm hoping that we can do this in a workshop that we put together, like go through all of these. Yeah. They all have different tricks to them. What? Okay, great. So that's a good teaser because we'll, the sign up is now live for this workshop uh, when people are hearing this. So we'll, we'll end with what what are the senses? Um, we won't go through how to like foster them all, but what are they? So we have intuitive feeling, okay. intuitive hearing, intuitive seeing. And intuitive seeing is like you just get flashes of something, some answer. Okay. You know, it may be like I, I want a house. You guys are house hunting right now. And you can just see that it has this element to it. Okay. So it's more, um, again, another perspective because you don't know where this house is going to be. You know, it's, it's, again, it's not prophetic necessarily in the way that we're doing it here. Not that I don't think that that's not possible. Um, but it's more just getting these flashes of insight as to like what you really want. And then the last one is intuitive knowing 
where you just know there's, there's no sense. You just know that you need to check on your kid right now. Something Mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, um, we'll learn how to use them in different ways too, because we have been taught when we're trying to figure something out to like reach out and sense, like, like feel with our feelers, (laughs) what we think is going on. We do that with people. We do that with situations. We use our own experiences to do that, but there are other ways that we can use these intuitive senses to receive information and to, um, get things shown to us more or less from, yeah, three different perspectives. Okay, great. And so that is, man, that's wonderful because I think we are so cognitively inclined. That's the perspective we keep, right? That's the the pro and the con list, the, the, the oscillating back and forth of like, how do I figure this out? Though we're only using that one level of analysis. So that's what I like about, about kind of what you're saying is sounds like when you have a certain issue, you have all of these different methods of analyzing it you're just stuck in the head mm-hmm. yeah cool. wonderful yeah. awesome so i want to end with a question that i end with sometimes on the show that has nothing to do with the show at all um but if you could have morning coffee with anybody in the world uh dead or alive who would it be and what would you want to talk about morning coffee with anybody in the world dead or alive I'm actually having a childhood memory come up of when I answered this for my yearbook based on what my parents wanted me to say. Like it's so relevant to this intuition thing because all I can think of is like, I would like to meet a dead president or something. Um, (laughs) Right. I'd like to go back into ancient Egypt and I don't have a specific person, but there's so many mysteries of Egypt that are unknown to us that we're discovering every day. And so somebody back there, like somebody who a higher up, yeah. A Pharaoh's right-hand man or something. Yeah. I think that's cool because in those places, they, they lived permanently in, in the place where the mythological and the objective are, are intertwined as one, where if we've Mm -hmm. now separated them, so that would be super dope. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for, just sort of enlightening the audience on like how to like actually train yourself and start to learn about what you actually think. There's a quote by Rob Bell that I say on the show kind of a lot, but you know, I always find it fascinating that we get to these points in our lives. And if we have the courage to follow what we can't see, we, you know, we sometimes look back and we realize that that voice that was the deepest within us was telling us the truth the whole time. Mm. I love it. Yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by I don't know who. That's something like our imagine will t- our imagination will take us to places that potentially never were, but without it we'd go nowhere. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Pretty, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, okay, so for the audience, um, in the show notes of this episode, you can click to register for this workshop. Of course, pay pay whatever whatever you can, whatever you want to, um, in order what, what's important to me is that these skills are accessible to people and that we like democratize this knowledge in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that want to support you and follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to do that? You can find me on Instagram at Jessica DePotsy underscore. That's D-E-P-A-T-I-E underscore. And you can check out my podcast. It's called... Uh... <laughs> The Shadow Work Library? Yeah, the Shadow Work Library. And uh, I don't have a website up for that, but if you just 
search for it in any place that you find podcasts. That's where I'll be. Wonderful. And we'll link those up in the show notes of this episode as well. Jessica, thank you for joining me. Love ya. 